Well, hey there. For those of you who've never met me before, my name's Colin. Uh, I get to work with Sean, and uh, I, I work with the middle schoolers of the Tap Church. And so uh, this message today is going to require some application because that's what we help our youth to do. So uh, you're like all middle school students to me today. Uh, so welcome. Um, so I don't know if you can tell, but uh, I've recently picked up a new hobby. Okay, let me do that one more time, help you out a bit. I don't know if you can tell, but uh, recently I picked up a new hobby. To answer your first question, yes, it's all natural. And to answer your second question, no, I haven't started working out. I picked up a new hobby called bouldering. And so bouldering, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like rock climbing, but without ropes. You get no assistance of someone belaying you from the bottom, holding your strength. It's just you and your own strength on the wall. So this is what I look like when I go bouldering. So that's me. Um, and this is what I hope to look like in a few months. So that's bouldering. So Queenie and I, uh, my girlfriend, uh, we've committed to going every Tuesday for our late night special at 9 p.m. at The Hive. That's a plug. If you want to come, come join us. I cannot promise you that I can teach anything, but I can promise a good time. So if you're free, come out 9 p.m. at The Hive. Um, can I just say that picking up a new hobby has not been easy? Naturally, when I'm learning a new hobby or a new sport, and I think this is, is kind of like a general rule for like a lot of people, I think uh, the way that I think is I try to find like the steps or the things that I can do to progress or get better at it, right? I'll look up strategies, read blogs, I'll watch a ton of YouTube videos that like sound a lot like top 10 beginner mistakes when playing like Pokemon Go, or bouldering, or painting. Uh, but it all amounts to really two things. It's here are the steps to do this and do that, and then you'll get better at your skill. But from experience, nothing is better than getting personal one-on-one -on -one advice from an expert in that particular skill. So naturally, uh, when I want to get better at bouldering, I go out to Squamish the climbing mecca of BC. And I drive uh, to this climbing store, and it's like the climbing store to end all climbing stores. It's got like walls full of climbing shoes. They got really expensive rope worth 300. I asked the question, why would I pay $300 for a rope? My dad answered, because it supports your life. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. I value my life more than $300, so it's worth it, right? Uh, it's got chalk for your hands. It's got everything that you would need to climb better. So I talked to the manager of the store, the, the expert of the store, right? Uh, I go up to him. It's a it's it's skinny, scrawny, uh, scrawny uh, Australian guy. And uh, I ask him, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a beginner climber. I started two weeks ago. Uh, do you have any techniques or, or any like thoughts of how I can be a better climber faster, right? And, and so I'm expecting really profound advice, you know, some secret technique that only expert climbers know. And so I'm giddy, I'm waiting, and he's like thinking, and then he, he turns to me and he says this. He says, oh yeah, mate, just go have fun. 
just send it, mate. Go have fun. That means nothing to me. I'm like, no, give me steps. Give me practical advice to work on my skill. He says, go have fun, mate. I'm looking for concrete steps, but he gives me an abstract idea. I've been working on my Australian accent. Pretty good, right? Thank you. My mentality or my approach is something that I think sums up our culture right now, right? What culture says is the more you do, the more success you have. And the more success you have, the happier you'll be. This is the cultural moment that we are in right now. But I think we have to ask the question, is this right? If we move this, this, this mentality or this ideology away from hobbies and careers and we place it in the context of something more spiritual like our relationship with Jesus, does doing more lead to more success? Is doing more the key to a more fulfilling, successful relationship with the living God? Our familiar text today has some things to say about that. So before we dive into that, up until this point, we've been in this series of Luke. We've been following Jesus, performing great miracles, like freeing people from demons, telling amazing parables, like the Good Samaritan of last week. But one theme I want to make sure that you and I are catching in this is this theme of the great reversal. It's this great reversal that Jesus is bringing in. For example, this Jew Jewish audience is coming in, like expecting Jesus to be this promised king. He, they're expecting him to come in guns blazing, conquering, dominating. But instead, Jesus comes with grace, meekness, and humility. It's an example of this great reversal. People are expecting Jesus to come and talk, be with religious leaders, and have meals with important people. But what does Jesus do? Jesus instead comes and hangs out with the lowly. He hangs out with the sick. This is the reversal that Jesus is bringing in. Jesus is reframing the way that people are thinking by ushering in this great reversal. And in our passage today, we're going to see another example of a great reversal that's critical for us to notice, I think, for our cultural moment that we're in. And that is the reversal of doing to being. So our scripture today is going to come up on the screen, and it comes from Luke 10, 38 to 42, and it goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want to read that, one, that part again. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So what's happening here? Jesus is coming through, and he shows up at Martha's house. Just to clarify, it isn't Martha and Mary's house. It's not Mary and Martha's house. Uh, this is just Martha's house. She's the older sister who's worked hard to be a homeowner. 
And she opens up her house to this famous rabbi who's been traveling around, healing the sick, teaching about the kingdom of God. And so she gets her little sister to come help host him, right? So Martha, she cooks and she cleans and she's serving all in the background while her little sister is off in the living room, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word that he's saying. And, you know, I can just imagine uh, Martha's conversation inside her head. I think this, this is what, I, if I envision it, this is what it sounds like. You know, okay, there's a famous person in the house. Where's Mary? Oh, she's with Jesus. She's probably checking if he needs something to drink, some water. What's taking her so long? It's been five minutes. She's probably checking, you know, you know, asking for a drink only takes seconds. Okay, relax. Martha, just chill. Relax. Let's just stay calm. Just keep doing. Just keep working. Just keep working. It's going to be okay. She's going to come help me soon. Keep working, Martha. Keep working. You have to be a good host. Okay, what? It's been an hour. How can I steam the Shaolong Bao to perfection without burning my Gong Chang Ho while making and Jifan. I need help. Where is Mary? Oh no, the Shaolong Bows are done. No, the soup from my Shaolong Bao came out. That's it. I'm done. I'm going out there. Jesus needs to help my sister come help me. You're welcome. By every definition that you and I can think of, Martha is being a good host. She's fulfilling all the expectations that are expected of her to clean, cook, serve, everything. Being a good host is often about doing things for the guests that you invited, right? So why is it that Martha is the one getting rebuked by Jesus? You know, oftentimes I hear this passage being used as a text to rebuke others who do too much. I've even used it as a text to rebuke those who are doing too much. Why are you doing volleyball Swimming, ultimate, soccer, and dance class, and art class. Don't be such a Martha. You're doing too much. You're going to burn out. Don't be such a Martha. We associate the name Martha with burnout and exhaustion. But the more that I read this text, the more that I realize that this text is not an issue of burnout and exhaustion. This is actually an issue about priority. Jesus isn't saying, don't serve, don't be a good host, don't do this, don't do that. He's saying only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the one thing that is needed. I am your priority. So that's the first point that I want you to recognize today. Jesus needs to be our priority. So write it down, put it in your notes app. Jesus needs to be the priority. But making Jesus your number one priority is not easy. There are so many other things that often take the place of Jesus in our lives. You know, work, family, friends, hobbies, watching the Canucks beat the Bruins 9-3 last night, serving, often take the place of Jesus in our lives. We elevate these things in our priority list over Jesus, and we find our relationship with Jesus falling lower and lower and lower down our list. But one thing that I want us to remember today is that all these things that can be distractions from our relationship with Jesus, these things that we prioritized instead are actually gifts from God that he's given us in the first place. When we realize that it is God who has given us our families, 
our friends, our skills, and opportunities to serve, it's only right to prioritize him first. Put it this way, when we receive a gift on Christmas, you know, it's not about the gifts. The gift represents the relationship between us and the person that gave us that gift. The relationship is what is the priority there. The person giving us the gift is the priority. The gift can never be more important than the person that gave us the gift. Every Christmas, every birthday, we teach our families, our kids, this same principle. The gift is not important, more important than the gift giver. Then why do we struggle so hard to do the same thing with Jesus? We need to change our perspective. We need to recognize that Jesus is our priority, and we cannot elevate the gifts that Jesus has given us over the gift giver himself. This is what the posture of Mary is reminding us. Jesus needs to be our priority, our number one. The second part of our story that I want to draw your attention to was the fact that Martha went straight to Jesus to complain. I thought that was really interesting. Why did Martha not just scold Mary instead? I'll give you an example. If I was inviting someone famous over to my house, someone that we all know, famous leader of the decade, Pastor Albert Chu, and uh, Queenie just sat there at Al's feet. That's a weird picture, but, but imagine that she was just sitting there listening and hanging on to every word that he said. I would lovingly tell her, hey Q, I need your help. Can you come help me cook, help me clean, help me prepare a lot of this stuff? I wouldn't say, Al, tell Queenie to come help me. Can you not see that I'm so busy? That's a really weird thing to do, right? In our passage, Martha goes straight to Jesus to get her sister to help her. Oftentimes we look at this passage and we say, you know, Martha didn't get anything right. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that I think Martha did do something right. She recognized Jesus as the authority in her household. So that's our second point. Jesus needs to be our authority. Oftentimes when we think of authority, you know, we think of police, law enforcement, or parents. Uh, it's not a nice word that we like to have in our lives. But I think that we need to change the way that we look at the word authority. One second. Sorry. <laughs> I think we need to recognize the idea that the law and authorities are actually there to help us live our best lives. God gives us the law and rules not to hinder us or restrict us, but actually to allow us the freedom to live the best life that God has for us. Martha recognized that Jesus was the authority in the room. And just like Martha recognized Jesus as the authority, so should we. He is the one that we can look to as king over our lives. He is the gift giver, the one voice that we listen to when it comes to living our lives. Because when we recognize Jesus as the authority, we open up the opportunity for ourselves to live the best life that God has for us. Jesus needs to be our priority, and Jesus needs to be our authority. And, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, and, and I felt like there was something that uh, I needed to add. 
for Jesus to be our priority and Jesus to be our authority, it actually requires on us proximity to Jesus, right? We think of Martha being in the kitchen away from Jesus, and, and Mary's actual position to Jesus was right at his feet. It's the proximity. It's that closeness. What defi- part of what defined a disciple was their proximity to Jesus, the way that they followed him so closely. And so for us to make Jesus our priority and our, thor- and our authority, it requires us to have proximity to Jesus, to be close to him, to actually spend time with him, to be with him. You know, this passage is shaping me in many ways. As some of you know, we're gearing up for spring retreats, uh, and my list of tasks and things to do continues to grow and grow and grow. I feel like when I knock one thing off the list, two more or three more take its place. When I feel stressed like this, the first thing that seems to go and get cut from my life is my devotional life, my prayer life. That goes down the drain. This is something that's just so regular for me and so hard to get out of. And that's because I elevate my job over Jesus. I elevate students over Jesus. I get so focused on doing things for God, good things for God, that I forget about spending time with God myself. But I want to change my posture to the posture of Mary, making Jesus the priority in her life. I want to hang on to every word that he says to me through prayer and his word and through the people that he's placed in my life. But I also want to make sure that Jesus is my authority. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to spring retreat, it's his camp. It's his retreat. It's his students. It's his program. And so the best thing that I can do for my students is listen to what God is saying for them, how God wants this retreat to go for them. I need Jesus to be my priority and my authority, not only for this camp, but for my life. And I want to let him determine my to-do list, my priority list. I'm going to invite the worship team to start coming back up. So how do we do that, right? How do we make Jesus our priority and our authority? I think it's quite simple. I think it's as easy as carving out intentional time each day to spend with Jesus in prayer, reading your Bible, practicing spiritual disciplines, and practicing gratitude. There's more. But these are all avenues that God has given us to spend time and sit at his feet and surrender. Let's be real here. I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. You know that those things are important. We know how to do all those things. But I think the most difficult part about this, I know at least for me, and maybe for you, is is the motivation. It's the desire to implement these practices that seems difficult. So today, actually, what I want to do is I want to give you the opportunity to actually convict yourself to practice posture, humility, and surrender, just like Mary. So I've given you each a piece of paper. You can pull it out now. And uh, what I want you to do with it is I want you to write down what your priority list is right now. Don't write it yet. I'll give you time for that. But be honest with yourself. What are the things that you've actually placed 
ahead of God? What have you prioritized over God? Don't write your name on this paper. And don't write it on your phone. I want you to write it physically on this piece of paper. When you feel led or convicted, I want you to surrender your priorities, your priority list to God to let Him define it. The one who gave you all these amazing gifts. Give them back. Surrender them to the cross by actually physically coming up and placing your priority list before the cross. This is our way of saying, Jesus, I don't want to live by my priority list any longer. I want to let you define it. I surrender these gifts back to you. So we're going to give these things to God. But it doesn't end here. I think something that would be so key is if you guys went home and you began to write out your priority list with Jesus at the top and then figure out what was next. Together, as a family, to figure out, hey, what does God actually want our family to prioritize? So here's mine. This is what it looks like. I got one to nine. I added more. <laughs> uh, but it goes like this. You know, youth or my job uh, oftentimes find its way to the top. Queenie, my girlfriend, finds her way second. Sorry, Q. And then uh, I actually added one on my list because I forgot about it. Uh, but three actually is myself. Oftentimes I prioritize myself over God and then I would put God next, family, friends, people I mentor, hobbies, and then everything else falls down after that. And so what I want you to do in a moment, we're just going to have time to just write it down, but then just fold it up. And uh, First Service has already done this, but you're going to take it and as an act of surrender and taking on the posture of Mary, we're going to drop it at the foot of the cross, saying, God, I surrender to you my priorities. I want to let you define it. And I'm praying that my honesty here, uh, my realistic priority list, uh, would help you to be honest with God and with yourself. So take time right now to, to just write down your priority list. here and then you guys can go and drop it. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up for a sec. Hold up. I'm going to finish and then you guys can come on up. I wasn't clear. It's my bad. Jesus needs to be our priority and our authority. He is the giver of all the good gifts in our lives and he is the one who is worthy to be at the top of our priority lists. Our number one. I need and want that to be truth in my life and I'm praying that that would be the same sentiment for you. Would you join with me today as we move God from the outskirts of our lives to the center of our families, our marriages, our friendships, our church, 
and our lives. Amen.